Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Apostles. We're so glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us this morning as we uh, celebrate uh, just this this last uh, Sunday of the Advent season as we look forward to Christmas and what it means. And as as we begin this morning, I'm just going to read to us uh, as we often like to begin with reading of God's word. I'm going to read to you from from John chapter 15, because this morning as we contemplate together the incarnation of Jesus coming to us, we're really going to focus on this idea of the joy that it brings. And so listen to what Jesus says about the joy that is available to us through what he's done. And so John chapter 15, starting in verse one, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this beautiful picture of uh, our, our just abiding in who you are and what you've done for us is the, is the key to our joy in you. And so this morning as we contemplate you coming down into this life and this time and space and bringing us this joy, we pray that we would see you as the center of all that we would push into that deeper and deeper abiding in you and letting you have your way with us and our joy being full because of who we are in Christ. We pray that that would be our heart this morning. We pray that you would come in your spirit and empower our worship and that it would be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the the one thing... uh, as, as Christmas comes, as much as I love Christmas and the season that surrounds it, one of the things that I will be glad when it's gone, when the season kind of ends, and is the advertisements that you see and just what you get bombarded with uh, all around the Christmas holiday. And I was thinking about that this week and the things that we get hit with that uh, this will make things, and the way ads are often written is this will solve all your problems and this will make everything great. And, and so you will have a wonderful Christmas and you'll have great joy and you'll have all these things if you get this. Right. Like whatever it is, you know, a new car or a new uh, whatever you get a new TV at Best Buy or whatever. And, that, that, you know, like Best Buy, I think one of their uh, holiday ads was just joy. That's what it says real big. And it's like so joy is at Best Buy somehow. And so you get bombarded with that at all times. And as I was, I was thinking about that, as we're going to talk about this idea of biblically what joy is when you get hit with these things, uh, none of them 
really point to a biblical view of joy at all. And, and oftentimes what it, what it tells us is that joy is something that's attained from these external things that if you get or you apply or you add this or that, that that'll bring you this happiness. And so as I think about that, that's the one thing I don't really will not miss. And so when we think of that, there's so many things that are said that are not this biblical picture of joy. And so this morning we're going to pick up with where we were last week. If you if you weren't here with us last week, we spent uh, all of our time in First John chapter 1, and, and that's where we're going to be this morning. And if you want to follow along, the pew Bibles that look like this, uh, they're, they're right there in the seats, and we'll be on page 660 if you want to follow along, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along with us. And what we said last week in First John 1 is this picture of the incarnation, that is, God coming down and putting on flesh. That's what we mean when we say the incarnation, God in the flesh and Jesus comes and John starts to tell us what that means. And he says, let me tell you what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've touched concerning the word of life. And then he says, and I'm telling you this so that you can have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And so he says this beautiful picture of this is what it means that Jesus has come, that we can have fellowship with God. And we spent a lot of our time last week on what that looks like and what that means to have fellowship. And then as we were ending, we said that leads us to two things here that, John, that you see in it. And the first one we, we covered last week was that we want to go tell, that we want to go proclaim and to testify, as John says here, we want to proclaim to you, we want to tell you what we've seen, we want to tell you who Jesus is and this fellowship that is now available. And then the other thing it leads to, we hit on right at the end last week, is it leads to joy. And that's going to be our text this morning, but we didn't have time to cover that. So we're just going to spend our time there today that that's what we're, we're headed towards. And, and, and the incarnation of Jesus brings us this joy. And so our text this morning is really 1 John 1, 4. So after John says all this, he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Some manuscripts say your joy may be complete, but it doesn't really matter which one it is. Because what John is saying is that our, including himself, us as disciples, us as following Jesus, us as Christians, this is how your joy is complete. And so what we're going to do this morning is just think for a few minutes on what this biblical idea of joy looks like. And then we're going to ask, how, how do we miss it and how do we rest in it or how do we get it? So how do we miss it and how do we how do we get it? And so let's pray and then we're going to look at that together uh, through looking at First John. So let's pray before we do that. Dear Lord, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that it is living and active and, and that it uh, guides us and it shows us and it convicts us. And uh, we just pray this morning that through your spirit that you would come and do that. We confess, as we often do, that we need your spirit to move in this place and to enlighten our hearts and our minds. For without that, we are hopelessly lost. So we pray that you would come and lead us this morning, that you would impress upon our hearts the true beauty that is behind this Christmas season, that we would see you more clearly and the joy that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would see that clearly. We pray that in his precious name. Amen. And so that's the way we're looking, as I just said, as we're thinking about today. First, just think about the idea of joy and then how do we miss it and, and how do we get it? And so this idea of joy, you know, you ask any person, you say, well, give me a definition of joy. And most people have a pretty good grasp of the word and what it means. And we talk about when we say joy, if you look up just kind of dictionary definition of joy, it's, it's a happiness and a delight, things that are exceptionally good. It's satisfying is, is often what it says. And so that, that picture of, of just that, what that means, we, we kind of get, and yes, we're okay with that. The problem I think comes is in how we get it. 
You know, like I was just saying, the advertisements of the sea and the things we get bombarded with, what happens is in our culture is joy is when everything is right. Everything's got in its right place and all things are going well and all things are good. And, and due to the externals in your life, then you can have joy. That's kind of the way our world looks at it oftentimes. But what I want us to think about for just a second is that's not the way the Bible really looks at it. It's not what Scripture really tells us. And what, what Scripture says is that joy, a true, full joy that's talked about in Scripture that Jesus talks about, that we read about this morning in our first reading from John 15, is a joy, is, is a happiness, is a satisfaction, is all those things that is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on external Things. And let, let me just give you just real briefly a couple of verses that kind of point to that in Scripture. James 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. Right? So count it joy when you're in hard times. That's what James says in chapter 1. You go, wait a second, that doesn't fit with kind of our world. Or uh, Hebrews 10, 34 says this. For you had compassion on those in prison... And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You joyfully accepted the taking of all your things. Right. And so it's, it's kind of the opposite of what our culture says. Right. You can be joyful in the taking of all your stuff because your joy is not in your stuff is what the Bible says. And so this picture that emerges in Scripture is that joy is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on what's going on outside of you, but it's an internal thing that can you can still have a joy and a deep and abiding joy even when things are going bad. A great example is what we've been talking about in Sunday school the last several months. We spent the last several months on how to study the Bible and our proof text, kind of what we were doing. We were using Philippians. And one of the themes that came out as we were studying through, if you've been in Sunday school, if you were if you were going through that with us or you just know in Philippians is that Paul talks about rejoicing and joy and all these things over and over and over again. And it's this big theme throughout Philippians. And then you realize that Paul's in prison. And he's writing to people that are outside of prison and he's the one filled with joy. And so you see that all through Scripture, that joy is not dependent on the circumstances of where we are, the external things. And so when we start this morning, I just want us to think of it like this, that, that this idea of joy is, is when we have this fellowship with God, because that leads to our joy, is what we talked about last week. When we have this fellowship with God, joy is this assurance and this delight and this satisfaction and this strength and this exalting in who God is, and it's regardless of circumstances. And that's a big thing to get. And so when we say that, we go, yes, that sounds really great. Right. We'd all go, yes, I would like to have joy regardless of any circumstances that through all things I can still have this joy. And so the question then becomes, why do we not? What are the things in our life that that cut that joy off despite what's going on? Oftentimes we go through hard times and we get we can get down and we can get frustrated and we can get all these other things. So how do we miss it? And what I want us to see as we work our way, we're just going to look at a few different verses here in First John. And if you're following along in this Bible, you can just it's all going to be really on page 660 and 661. They're all right there because John's not first. John's not real long, but we're going to look at a few different verses of the things that John just kind of points out to us that short circuit our joy that that make us where we start to miss it that cloud the picture and so i just want us to think of a few things if you look there first with me in in first john chapter one verse six he says this if we say we have fellowship with him 
While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We hit on that last week. And then John says a similar thing in chapter two, verses three and four. So if you just skip down a few verses there, chapter two, verses three and four. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so I would tell you the first thing that short circuits our joy because our joy flows out of fellowship with God through Jesus. And he's saying you don't have fellowship with God and you're cut off from that when you're in unrepentant sin. Sin cuts us off from joy. And there's this real clear picture that we talked about last week. And I won't go through the whole thing again because we spent a lot of time on it last week. Is this picture of walking in the light or walking in the dark. Right. When we walk in the light, we're walking with God and, and all things are being revealed. And we've 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 confessed sin and we're we're giving things over to him. But we walk in the dark when we turn and we walk away from him when sin is in our life. And so the picture of our abiding joy and being in Christ and and having that deep abiding joy when we sin. Just think of that picture that that comes from that. Right. The picture is simply when we turn and walk away from the source of the joy our fellowship with God, we're going to not have the fullness of that joy. Now, the picture is, though, let's be careful and and how we say this as Christians, if you've put your faith in Christ and then you fall back into some sin or you're struggling with a sin issue, that doesn't mean God's removed himself. It doesn't mean he's not there. Uh, I like to think of it this way, is that God is with you and you are with him and you have access to him through Jesus at all times and you can come directly to him. But when we're in sin, it's like we're turning and walking away from him. Now, oftentimes our experiences when we're doing that, it seems like we've left God way over there and we're walking away from him and we're walking away from him. But the truth is that when we repent and we turn back, we realize he was always there. Right. He was right there. It was us that was walking away. And so the picture, though, is our experience of that joy gets cut off when we're in unrepentant sin, when we're not when we're hiding things from him. Right. Because if full fellowship with God leads to the greatest of joy, when we're holding parts away from him because of our sin and we don't want him to know and we're not going to confess it and we're just going to keep that to ourselves, then we're hiding parts of it. And then our fellowship is interrupted. And so it therefore interrupts our joy. Do you see how that works? And so the first thing I would say to you is this this picture of cutting off our joy, this fullness of joy that is available in Christ is through sin when we're in unrepentant sin. And so the application is pretty clear. Confess your sin and turn to him and he restores you immediately. And so that's the first way we miss it. Look at verse uh, nine and eleven of chapter two, chapter two, nine through eleven. So what he says here, the second thing, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so when we talk about joy and our fellowship and what it looks like with God, it's going to overflow into loving and caring for others and having relationships with others. And when we're holding grudges and when we're cut off from those relationships and the fellowship with one another, that circumvents or short circuits our joy. Right. You see that here in the way he says that, that if you say you hate your brother and you're not forgiving and you're holding on to these things and you're doing that, he says you're walking in the darkness. And so you're not walking in that fellowship with God at all times and in all ways. And so you start to have that cut off. Right. Uh, Think of it this way in our joy and fellowship, joy, perfect joy 
uh, would come from perfect fellowship with God. And the picture of perfect fellowship with God is Jesus. Right? Jesus is God. They're one. He and the Father are one. They walk perfectly together in all things. So when we think about what it looks like to love your brother and to have fellowship with one another, we should look at Jesus. Because he shows us. And so when you think about uh, what, what that looks like and, and loving others, we think of what Jesus says and the way he tells us. And, what, and, and you think what Jesus says uh, when they come to Jesus and they try to trip him up. And they say, well, what's the greatest commandment? The lawyer comes to him and he asks him all this. And Jesus says, it's, it's love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus says is you can sum it all up like this. Love God and love others. Right? That's, that's what it looks like to walk in fellowship and to walk like Jesus said, love God and love others. And so that's the way we're made to be. And so when we're not doing that, our joy is not complete because that's the way we're made to be, to be loving and caring for others. And you can ask the question, why is that so important and why is that so part of who we are and what our joy and how it's full? And the picture is simply that that God in and of himself is perfect, loving relationship, right? God, before any person was ever created, God in and of himself alone, perfectly his perfect relationship between the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Perfectly outwardly focused, glorifying the other, but at the same time, Godward, because he is God, all three are one and the same in God. And so what we see in God in and of himself is perfect relationship, perfect, loving and outward focus towards others in himself. And so when he makes us in his image, we're designed to work best that way. And so when we don't do that, we're cutting off from the way we were made at our very uh, most fundamental of our being. And so we're the opposite of what God's called us to be in the way that that works and the way that we walk and following him when we become self-centered. Or when we become holding grudges and I'm not going to talk to that person and I'm not going to do that and all those things. We're not following through with the way that perfect fellowship with him looks like, which is loving God and loving others. So that's that's the second way we miss it. So then look at uh, verses 15, 16 and 17 in, in chapter two. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so the way we miss it is we exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. We, we decide to make our life about temporal things instead of eternal things. And just when we start to think about that picture, see, you were created for eternity because you were created to be centered on God first and foremost. And God is eternal. Right. So you have eternity in your heart and only an eternal thing. Only God can satisfy that. And when you decide to take and make your life about temporal things, it will never come close to fulfilling you. It will never come close to giving you a fullness of joy. And so just clearly what John says, one of the ways we miss that fellowship with the father and we miss the joy that comes out of that is we love the world more than we love God. We make it about the things that are right in front of us instead of our heavenly father. And so the third way we miss it is we miss it through loving the world, loving stuff, loving temporal things, things that won't withstand. Right? Jesus talked that way often. Build up for yourself treasures in heaven, 
Not things on this earth that can rust and be destroyed, but build up for eternal things. And so you see that picture all the way through. Look at uh, verses 23 to 25 in chapter 2. The fourth one here. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If you've heard from the be- what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And so the picture, and this is probably the most obvious, hopefully the most obvious of, of how we miss our joy as we don't see Jesus as he is. Right? It says so clearly, couldn't say it any more clearly, that no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so that means we have to take Jesus for the way that Jesus says he is. And the way Jesus says he is, is I'm your savior who came to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I talked about that briefly last week, but I'll just hit on it again for just a second here because it's so relevant to where we are. Because what happens is oftentimes people want to take the Jesus of the Bible and take bits and pieces that they like. And I'll take that and I'll take this little part over here and this little part over here and I'll say, okay, that's good enough. Right. You'll you'll hear things. Maybe you haven't heard this. I've heard this a bunch in my life, probably the last 10 years. This idea of the the thing that really matters is the Jesus consciousness. If you've ever heard that, which means you just love one another and that's all that matters. And all the stuff about sin and Jesus dying. And I, I don't really know if that happened. I don't really care. And it's not that big of a deal. It's just let's have the Jesus consciousness. And Jesus says over and over, it doesn't work. That doesn't work. Because you are perishing without me. That's the way Jesus talks. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world because you're condemned already because you're in your sin and you're separated from me. And you don't need someone to come and give you a good example that you try to live up to. You need a savior that comes down and saves you and pulls you out of your sin for you. And so that's the way you have to come to Christ or you miss who he is altogether. Otherwise, he just becomes uh, your personal assistant. A guru that's got some good advice and maybe I'll take it and maybe I won't. Thanks, Jesus, but I'm not really sure about that. And so we pick and choose. And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. In fact, Jesus says the opposite. And he says it so clear over and over. Love me more than anything else. And it shouldn't even be close. Make me the center of your life. I am the savior and I've come to do this for you. And so if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means he becomes the absolute center. And so when we see this here, when we see this picture of what John's saying is that 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 will cut the joy off right at the beginning. If you just try to take bits and pieces and you don't take Jesus, the fullness of who he is and his saving and atoning work that cuts it off because you don't have fellowship with the father, because the only way you can ever come to the father is by what Jesus has done for you. Right through faith and what Christ has done for you. And so that's right at the heart of it. You know, Jesus says it perfectly this way in John 16. The father loves you because you have loved me and have believed I came from the father. Right. You see what he said? He says you have fellowship and God loves you and all these things because you're coming through me. And that's the only way. And so you see that picture and that that leads us. And that's so important. But then that leads us to the the fifth way that we miss it. And I'd say the fifth way we miss it is through fear. Look at what he says in chapter four, verses 15 to 19. And so John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he and God. That's what we just said. But then he says, so we have come to know and to believe that 
the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. But this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so our joy is cut off when there's a fear, when there's an uncertainty of our relationship with God. We don't have the certainty of our fellowship. And if Jesus becomes just a personal assistant that gives you an example, now try to follow what I tell you, you'll never know if you've done enough. You will walk through life going, oh, I've made this mistake and now I'm going to try to make it up and I'll try to do this and I'll, I'll try to balance it out this way. And oh, no, I did. And every day is this up and down, back and forth. And there's no assurance. And so the only way that you get a, a, away from that back and forth and all over and that fear that comes from that is you rest in the finished work of Jesus. That Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and the perfect life and he's come down and he's done it for you and then he gives it to you for free and your part is to put your faith completely and totally in him and not yourself. And that's the only way that happens and otherwise it's this back and forth of always I'm not sure in an uncertainty and there's this fear and that's what John's saying. If you're walking in this fear of you're not sure about your relationship with God then you don't have it. Because it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on Jesus. And when you see Jesus for who he is, then you know you have it. And so that's the picture. And you, so you walk through all these things that he shows us of, of the way we miss it. We miss it through sin. We miss it through not loving and caring for others. We miss it because we love the world more than we love God. We miss it because we're not seeing Jesus as he is. And when that happens, we begin to fear and we have uncertainty. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons we, we sing over and over in Christ alone. We sing that song a lot here, right? And it gets towards the end and it says, I have no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me, right? That I don't have that fear and so that's gone because of what Jesus does. And so when we, when we start to get to the end here of, well, how do we get the fullness? How do we really rest in it? How do we get the fullness of the joy that Jesus offers? I came to give you my joy and that your joy may be full. So how is that? And so the, the, the most important thing that we see as we begin to think about that is, is, is what we looked at last week as John was just saying it in the excitement in which he talked and what we've seen and what we've heard. And I've told you this, that you can have fellowship with the father. And he says, it's all because Jesus came down. It's because of the incarnation. It's because that we serve a God that came down to us to do what we can't do for us. And then he gives it to us as this gift. And he says, that's the key of your joy. And I want you just to think about that. That means the God of the universe loves you so much that he said, I'm going to come down into this, into the suffering, into the heartache, into this world that's all broken because you've because we've ignored him. That's why it's the way it is. And he says, I'm going to come down into that and I'm going to walk through it all with you and I'm going to do it perfectly and then I'm going to give it to you. The greatest gift that ever is, the, the heart of what Christmas means is the God of the universe comes and does what we can't do for us. And so when we start to think about how do we have the fullness of that, how do we really rest in that? It's, it's what Jesus says so clearly in what we just read this morning in the first reading as the father has loved me, so I love you. So abide in my love. 
He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that your joy, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And so the answer is simply this. You make Jesus the center of your life. He doesn't become a little part of it over here. He doesn't become the thing you plug in on Sunday morning. He doesn't become the thing that you plug in on Easter and Christmas and, okay, I'll go. And Jesus, yeah, okay, I'll make him a little part over here. He says, you make me the center of your life. I become the heartbeat of everything you do. And every, it's like concentric circles. Jesus is the center and everything comes out from there. He has to be the center. He can't just be a part of the pie. He has to be the whole thing. And then everything else flows out of that. You see John saying the same thing in what we read here. He says, let uh, what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you heard from the beginning abides into in you. Then you too will abide in the son and in the father. Right. The joy comes from fellowship with the father through the son. And until you put that as the center and make it the center, all these other things will pull at you and and get you off. And you'll start to love the world more. You'll start to doubt your salvation because you're not really sure about Jesus. And all these other things will come and rob your joy. And Jesus says, make me the center and your joy will be full. Don't let these other things pull you off. And so when you start to think about all the things that pull us off from different things, when you see it that way, that you're loved fully and completely by God, by what Jesus did and nothing else, it's only through him, then your identity becomes him. And then all those things that start to rob your joy, you see in a whole new way. For example, when we talk about sin and sin robs our joy and we start to turn from God, well, what happens when you're making Jesus your sinner? It doesn't mean you never fall into a sin or you ever have problems. You do. That's the Christian life as we grow closer and closer. Hopefully that's becoming less and we're getting closer to him. But we still have times when we slip back. But guess what happens now when Jesus is the sinner? The second you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's not what I want for you. That's not the way it works. And you say, yes, God, please forgive me. And he forgives you. And so what happens is that your sin, when you slip into these things, you get convicted of sin. And that's good for your joy. You may go, oh, wait a second. That's like the worst possible thing is when somebody calls me out on something. It is. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It stinks. When somebody says, I don't think you handled that real well. And you know it. Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you and he says, yeah, you're, you blew that, right? And you know it and you see it. But then the second you repent, then all of a sudden it pushes you deeper to see how precious Jesus is to you. I'm saved by what he did, not me. And it makes me more dependent on him, which leads to a fuller joy. So conviction of sin is good. It's not that it now cuts us off. It now pushes us deeper to him. And so even sin, the same with with uh, loving others, when we see Jesus as the sinner, there's people that are hard to love and there's people that you're frustrated with and there's people that you don't want to forgive or you feel like they don't deserve my forgiveness. But then there's God right there all along. You didn't deserve my forgiveness. And it's only through what Jesus has done for you. And you say, you're right. And you see that you're forgiven by what Jesus has done. And so now I'm going to turn and I'm going to forgive. And I'm going to let God take care of those things. And it gives you a new capacity to love other people and to forgive them because of what Christ has done for you. And so even it helps in those things. The same thing with the love of the world and the stuff that's in it and those things that pull on us. And you go, God goes, it's all mine. 
Every bit of it is mine. And you're trying to hoard things and hold on to them and all that stuff. And he says, it's all mine. And I love you infinitely. You don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to worry about what the world tells you on this is what you need. And this is what God says. You've got my love. You don't need to try to get it and find it in other ways. And it, so it radically changes those. And the same thing about fear. Right? When we really press in and see the way God loves us and what he's done for us in Christ, the fear's gone. There's an assurance that comes from, from understanding that the God of the universe loves us infinitely and you're precious in his sight. Like this, this picture of, I love the, the, just the exhortation there in chapter two, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter one towards the end of when John he starts to talk about you. You know him who is from the beginning and you've overcome the evil one and God's word is in you and you see him and fellowship with him. I'm sorry, it's in chapter two, but you have a deep understanding of this joy that's unshakable because you know him. And it takes away all fear and it takes away fear in other ways, too. Right. John talks about fear in terms of judgment and being separated from God, but it takes away fear of caring about what people think. Sometimes we have a fear of, oh, no, what are they going to think of me if I say this or I do this? But when Jesus becomes so precious above all else, you care so much more what he thinks. And there's a freedom that's there and a fear that's gone. I, 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 I know the God of the universe and I know he loves me infinitely, so I don't have to worry about these other things. And they start to melt away and they start to take their proper place. And so you begin to see this through all of it, that you have this rock solid assurance because of who Christ is. And so as we end this morning, I just want to read to you. I want us just to think about this and and leave this with you. What what, uh, the Apostle Paul says in the end of Romans 8. I love uh, this picture in these verses there at the end of Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is the center of your joy that he did for you. And now he's got you and he loves you infinitely. And there's nothing that can take that away. And he actually says that he goes on right before those verses. He explains to us why. And he says it's because God has come and he's done for us. And Jesus has died and he's raised from the dead and he intercedes for you. He's there with the father right there and he's got you. And there's nothing that can take that away. And that's the center of your joy. That is the center of the picture of Christmas. That Jesus came down and did this for you. And now he's got you and you're his And no matter what's going on else in your life and things can be hard and different things that he has you and he's got you and he's not letting you go. And so you have a joy that abides in all things. And so when we when we get that, we can truly sing together joy to the world. Right. Literally, the greatest joy that's ever been offered is in Jesus. And here it is. And that's what the incarnation That's what it means that Jesus came to us. So I just pray that 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 is our focus tomorrow and and on Tuesday as we wake up and we celebrate Christmas, that, yes, we have a joy and excitement over family and friends and giving gifts and all the wonderful things that go with us. But at the very center, the deep fullness of our joy is that Jesus is the center and that he loves us infinitely. And that's what we're excited about. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that this is the truth of 
your word and that you've what you say is eternal and it is perfect and it has its place and its work on us. And so we pray this morning that we would see this, that we would taste it and experience it and rest in it, that you love us infinitely, that our assurance is in you and not in ourselves, but what you've done for us, that that our joy is found in making you the center. And I pray for each one here that that would be the reality of their lives today, that you are the center that you are our joy above all else. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the miracle of Christmas, of you coming down and loving us the way you have. We pray that that would just be in us and through us and over everything over these next uh, few days. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.